0: Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell and I'm Lloyd Hughes. And today's film, episode fifty-one of Pod Me If You Can, is Django Unchained. The D is silent. Uh, first up, just going to plug the website www.podmeifyoucan.com and our Facebook page, our YouTube channels. All of the links and stuff are at that site, so uh, check it out if you want to follow up on anything Pod Me If You Can related. And, uh, just warn you guys, we have seen Django Unchained, so we will be discussing this film with spoilers, so be advised, if you haven't seen it, we might ruin something for you here and now. Lloyd, how cool is it to have a song, the Django, Django, his name is Django song, at oh, the beginning of the Oh, it's so
1: song. cool. It's, uh, obviously Tarantino's paying a lot of homage to the spaghetti Western genre, uh, directed by Sergio Leone and so forth. So the opening just had to be monumental. Uh, uh, Most of those films opened with a very monumental er, Ennio Morricone song. And I'm I'm glad Django Unchained is sort of up there in that vein. Yeah, definitely.
0: Um, Look, Tarantino has always been considered quite cool. Jamie Foxx is also quite cool. I think it's funny that the original choice was Will Smith for yeah, this film.
1: Yeah, um, and he passed on it. That's really interesting.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, Will Smith is cool as well. So, like, Jamie Foxx and Will Smith is, you know, they're bring- both bringing a level of cool to this film. Absolutely. The thing the thing that's not cool is slavery. Uh, and, no, uh, no, that was a hot,
1: a hot um, issue when this movie was released.
0: Exactly. And so I was wondering what you thought of um, the way that they've tackled it here. I mean, obviously, it's a period piece, they're trying to be historically accurate.
1: Yep. Uh, well, I. it's interesting with this film. I, I just saw, um, I heard so much hype about it. I'm disappointed that it got so delayed um, here in Australia. It was released in Christmas. Or rather, On Christmas in America. And I just thought all the whole movie industry is over that sort of thing. Like, with the level of piracy available now, I thought they usually release big movies. And I, I consider Django Unchained a pretty big movie um, globally. Like, the, what they did with Avengers. I think Australia even got it a day before America. It might even they be did, a week. They did, yeah um before I don't think it was a week um
0: what happens is um in America films open on Fridays and in Australia they're on Thursdays but America's Friday is our uh, Saturday so it seems like two days
1: yeah well this got um uh, delayed by uh, just under a month which I thought was ridiculous cuz I had to avoid Facebook Twitter And avoid the temptation of grabbing a downloaded copy off one of my friends, because that seems to be the trend now, you know, people aren't going to the movies, they just wait for a torrent to be available, but... I I love movies and I try to watch them at the uh, at the cinema as much as possible. with the price of tickets and so forth, I can see why people lean towards it. But I thought the movie studio did a big fault here not rele- releasing this film universally. Um, I thought that was just such a big fault. It got delayed in America. I don't think it was released on Christmas because of the sh- the, the tragic shootings. Um, in america and because of the violence um of this film it just got pushed back a couple of days um which is understandable but i'm still very disappointed they didn't release this film universally we had to wait
0: yeah i um i watched it at the cinema as well i wanted to see it on the big screen yeah um that that's the thing about this time of year as well in the lead up to the oscars all of the academy members get sent out their screeners and every now and then somebody leaks a screener exactly online exactly so we got all
1: the hype for this you know for three weeks um I I, I just it trickled down to me and particularly um, the slavery issue I know Spike Jones he's always unhappy with uh any of Tarantino's work since Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown um he's quite vocal about how his his use of the n-word and I don't want to say it (laughs) you guys will obviously piece that together what what uh, we're talking about (laughs) um and uh one of the uh things that came out about this was the action figures of django unchained and some of them were slavery figurines like uh, of slaves of uh african-american slaves and all that got pulled so if you were lucky to get one um that'll obviously be worth a lot because they've pulled that from stores they're not selling it anymore so that's pretty interesting
0: in a way though the way this was handled, I thought, when um Jamie fox gets the well Django we'll call him, when he gets the uh the blue suit, which looks a little bit like Austin Powers, he's sort of like a super slave in a way. He's not quite free yet. Mm. Um they're still using the the guise of that he is free in the film, but he's working with the Christoph Waltz's character King, and um you know, he's sort of like a hero. He stops the woman from getting whipped he fights back against the you know three brothers and stuff. Yep. And in a way, it's the whole film is a fairy tale because she's a damsel in distress. She's getting rescued. You know, he is. It the even Knight parallels
1: that with a German story um, that exactly. Christoph Exactly. Yes. Yes.
0: Exactly. Yeah. If you've seen the film, then you'll know there's a Brumhilde story that Christoph Waltz tells um, at a campfire, and her name is Brumhilde and it's a very obvious parallel.
1: Yeah. Um, well, in in reference to the slavery issue, I th- because maybe because it was hyped up so much to me, um, how uh, Tarantino overused the N word and so forth like that, it didn't seem that bad to me. Maybe because of all the hype, I saw the slavery issue, the whole thing. Um, that whole state of affairs in America prior to the Civil War, um, I saw it as environmental in this film. It, we were just in this world and I accepted, okay, that's the laws and uh, and rules of this universe that we're currently in. And it's not yeah. based on any historical facts, just like *Glorious Bastards. Um, but it didn't affect me at all. I just was set in that world and I accepted all the rules and all the logic and everything.
0: Yeah. I thought um, Christoph Waltz was really, really good. Obviously we've just seen him in Inglorious Bastards yeah. before that with Tarantino. Yeah. And I saw a terrible
1: Do- movie, The Hornet, The Green Hornet
0: green hornet
1: yeah by um oh, i can't remember his, um, is this the one with seth rogan seth rogan that's the one um is christoph waltz, waltz the he's, villain he's in the, he's the villain it's a terrible movie um oh. I, I heard so much bad um uh, uh reviews about the film it was actually on tv but it's directed by michelle gondry he's a director i really admire and like, i can't be that bad if michelle gondry accepted this script and i'm watching it. it's terrible <laughs> Okay. The
0: last thing I saw Christoph Waltz in was um, Carnage, which is this film with John C. Riley, Kate Winslet, um, Jodie Foster, and Christoph what Waltz. What a and they powerhouse play, cast. Yeah, exactly. And all sort of Academy Award nominees. And um, the, the whole thing is based on a play, and it's a really weird translation to a film. I don't think I liked it. So oh, don't, okay. Sure.
1: Don't bother. Don't rush and get that.
0: But. <laughs> but do you prefer christoph waltz the villain or the hero because here he's a hero and in inglorious bastards is a villain
1: i think he's so talented i'll accept him in any role i thought he was great in django and i thought he was great in inglorious bastards i like him as a hero myself oh wow okay yeah yeah because you want to root I, for him he's got you know but he played the he's villain. fantastic
0: <laughs> yeah but he's a likable guy i mean he just hosted saturday night live all oh, right you know Maybe that won him over some fans. He
1: he got his career um, very late. Like, obviously, he's been an actor for a long time, but it's really Quentin Tarantino who's responsible for, I don't want to say reviving his career, but putting the spotlight on him. And now he's the most hunted actor, like, I think. Like, he's just going to get script after script, you know? (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. He's, um, he's a nice find for Tarantino I guess. Yeah, well,
1: you know. um, I've actually been looking forward to this podcast for a while because I'm such a huge Quentin Tarantino fan. You don't mind if we take a sec to just talk about Quentin Tarantino?
0: Yeah, you bought the um the box set. Didn't I bought you? the box 25? set. Now,
1: it's actually on our uh, uh, uh our Facebook page. Our page. Yeah, um, yep. it's twenty years of Quentin Tarantino. Beautiful box art by a guy from Melbourne. I think designed it. Um, I can't remember his alias, (laughs) forgive me, but the video's up there, and yeah, it's uh, 20 Years of Quentin Tarantino, it includes some films that he didn't direct, uh, mainly his screenplays that he wrote, like True Romance and so forth, Um, so yeah, it includes a whole bunch of his films, and it's a fantastic box set with really good special features, so if you're a Tarantino fan, sorry?
0: Did they throw From uh, Dusk to Dawn in there? No,
1: they didn't. Didn't include that one, nor um, Natural Born Killers, which Tarantino himself didn't like. um, uh, Oliver Stone's adaptation of it. Hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean... How do you find Django falls within his other body of work? Well, Is this now high up in the favorites?
1: Um, Well, I want to say, firstly, that Tarantino is a huge influence to Dave and I and all the wannabe filmmakers of our generation. Like, I'm sure Martin Scorsese was a huge influence for Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez and uh, Stanley Kubrick for Martin Scorsese and so forth and Orson Welles for Stanley Kubrick's era. Tarantino's really fathered in a whole new generation. Like reservoir dogs and pulp fiction was so influential in the 90s like we can talk about so many films that emulated that kind of style like there's so many films that sounded like pulp fiction or looked like pulp fiction with the dialogue the narrative structure like i want to say boondock saints um and a whole bunch of other films that i can't think of but you know what i mean like it it just there were so many um inspired films from that um from that film and in uh, particular a lot of critics have said Pulp Fiction is the best film of the 90s and certainly one of the most influential I argue it's Terminator 2 but anyway (laughs) um not Terminator 1 (laughs) I love Terminator 1 but uh considering the best films of the 90s I'd have to say uh, Terminator 2 is the best film of the (laughs) 90s um all right uh tarantino uh, i think he is such a cinematic virtuoso and what i mean by that there are so many writers out there and we're talking writers who just that's their occupation they just focus on the screenplays they just write it would kill just to have one element that tarantino seems to do so effortlessly whether it be his characterization or his narrative structure you know and in pulp fiction how it goes backwards in time and so forth like it shows parallel stories he sort of did that with reservoir dogs as well he he's not the first to do that but he certainly brought it back where a lot of people emulated that style like a lot of films copied that you know the flipping back in narrative where it goes back in time it um shows parallel stories happening at once he wasn't the first to do that but he sort of brought that back um and Yeah, and he does so many of those, uh, and his dialogue, uh, of course, like there's so many writers that would kill to have his dialogue. He does all those elements so effortlessly, and that's just his screenwriting. And let's talk about his directing. Like, this is a guy who goes from every genre. Like, if you look at Kill Bill, it has the spaghetti western, it has the kung fu, it has the um, samurai movies, it has... um, And he does drama so well as well. You know, there's so many directors out there who don't write their screenplay who just focus on the direction and they can only do you know one particular genre they're they're very uncomfortable doing anything else and a lot of those top level directors they get what's called a second unit to direct the action films and tarantino yeah and tarantino himself can go into the action can go into the drama also effortlessly like i think he is such a like he's got such a particular i don't know position in this in in the movie industry where he can do any screenplay he wants to. He can get any actor. he, Well, almost any actor. He didn't get Will Smith for <laughs> Shango Unchained, but it's such a, I don't know. There's no other director that I can think of that is in this position. Like he can get any song he wants to and use it so well in a movie. Like I can't understand when people, I understand why people don't like Tarantino, but I can't understand why they don't think he's, you know, that good of a filmmaker. I, I think... It could be... I'm going to play,
0: you know, devil's advocate yeah, sure. for a second here. Um, it could be that he's quite self-indulgent. Sure. he He's doing what he likes, and if you don't like it, tough. He's yes. got a big ego about things. Um, and there are some some trademark Tarantino things that I'm not such a big fan of. Sure, yes. Um, I've
1: got my issues as well.
0: The uh, two that come up in this film for me, one is when there's flashbacks of Django and his wife trying to escape. Mm-hmm. And every time flashbacks are done these days, they're just, like, oversaturated.
1: Yeah. Vision. I'm shocked he and went for that style.
0: <laughs> I, I Personally, I'm over that, um, but we've seen it a few times. Um, Richard Kelly used it quite a bit. Domino is, like, um, mm. mostly, the Keira Knightley film is mostly told in flashbacks.
1: Um, and a lot of sorry, CSI Tony- Miami does that. When they look at a uh, evidence on a crime scene, they sort of flash to what they think happened. And it's, like, that oversaturated exactly. look. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Tony Scott, sorry, did um, Domino, yep. and um, Richard Kelly wrote it, and um, there's heaps of that just oversaturated, shaky camera work and stuff, and I'd love to see some flashbacks that are just black and white or
1: something, mm. you know, something a bit different. Um, my but, b- um, biggest issue with Tarantino is maybe he goes too far at some at some point like I loved Django Unchained except for the last 15 minutes I just thought he completely lost it like by casting himself and that whole last bit just he didn't need it and in Glorious Bastards as well there was I don't know it was just a confused film for me I think Glorious Bastards is his worst film. But that's not to say in this world of remakes, reboots, and uh, sequels. Like Tarantino writes original screenplays, he, he comes up endlessly with all these characters, you know. So you got to give him credit for coming up with an original screenplay, and not on not only that, directing it, you know. And if there was only one scene that I could show to anyone of Tarantino that shows off his brilliance, it would be the opening of Inglorious Bastards, where the um, Christoph Walsh goes to see the farmer, the milk, uh, the dairy. Yeah,
0: that's a long sequence too. It's a
1: beautiful sequence. Like the tension you feel um, with the people hiding underneath and Christoph Walsh trying to get the information out of him and how the camera moves. And especially mm. in the opening, when you see him in the distance, the bike riders coming in, like um, in the uh, Christoph Walsh, he's armed with those bodyguards coming up. It's uh, It echoes so much of um, Sergio Leone films with... Uh, 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 with the music by Ennio Morricone, you know, the writer comes in from, from the distance or even Lawrence of Arabia, um, Mm -hmm. you know, where, uh, Omar Sharif comes in. I think it's Omar Sharif, um, comes in, you know, it echoes so much of that. So there's so much level of skill in his craftsmanship. I don't think anyone I can think of, maybe Martin Scorsese could do that where they just shift in and out of genres. I think it's absolutely phenomenal.
0: Yeah. The, um, self-indulgent thing sort of applies for the runtime as well. I thought this film didn't need to be as long as it was by yeah. about 15 minutes. But, um, right when I sat down to watch this, people behind me, a guy and a girl were sitting there and the guy said to, um, the girl that the film was like three hours long. She, go, he, she goes, um, what really? And just thought it was kidding. And then he goes, um, yeah, yeah. A movie, we, we started watching it at 10 past nine. It got out just after 12. And, um, he pointed to the ticket stub and showed her and said, yeah, yeah, look, it finishes just after 12. And she was like, why? Why would this... like It didn't, doesn't need to be, you know, like, she the She said story. this before? Sorry?
1: Did she say this before the film started or yeah, after? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right sorry. when we're sitting in the cinema
0: just waiting for the the film to begin and stuff. And, and it's funny because I guess when you're thinking about this story, you don't imagine it being a three-hour epic. I guess yeah. it seems like an action film because he's unchained. He's... You know, fighting back, it doesn't seem like it's going to need to be told in two hours, forty five minutes. Yeah,
1: it's like a simple revenge film, but even then a the simple revenge film like uh Kill Bill blew up to two movies. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's true. Well the other thing that um Tarantino does that I sort of get annoyed by is when he uses the zoom.
1: I oh, I love um, that, and that's like an old seventies thing when they um Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: I know, but I think he maybe overuses it. And it's sure. the problem, I think, is that it's quite jarring. Mm. And so it reminds you that you're in a film.
1: Yeah, you see the hand behind the camera a lot.
0: Exactly, mm. yeah. And I think, for me, that's that's what bugs me about it, is I'm reminded I'm watching a movie, rather than some sweeping shots, that there were many sweeping shots and sequences in this film that were very good. Mm. But every now and then, and there's one where it zooms on Leonardo DiCaprio, one of the first times we see we see him. Yep. And um, that sort of just goes, you know, into indulgence for me. And that's the the sort of minor problems I had with this film. It reminds me Um, so much
1: of a 70s technique. Like, I'm just like, whoa, you know, in this modern age, seeing that technique and he's... He's actually armed with Robert um, Redford... Oh, not Robert Redford. Uh, Robert Richardson, who's a- arguably the best DOP um, in the world. So it's interesting, like, why they would choose those shots in, the, you know, the modern cinema. Because it is so jarring. You're like, whoa, that's like Sonic out of the 70s. But I think it's like, it does also reminds you, because it reminds you of that period. You're like, oh, right, he's yeah. paying homage to the 70s. Yeah. Well,
0: that's... yeah. Don't get me wrong, I think this is four out of five stars, you know? Wow, yeah. Like a very good film. I just think that he has final cut, right? Mm. Tarantino, Spielberg, there's a handful of people who have final cut. And I think for Tarantino, I think it makes his films not perfect. Um, There's this sort of element where, for example, did you notice the girl, um, Zoe Bell?
1: Uh, Yes, I did. Uh, She was the star of uh, Death Proof
0: correct she uh or grindhouse she was in death proofs tarantino segment uh she was you know the stunt woman who got on the collar uh, front of the car and stuff and um she was in this one wearing a sort of bandana across her face um it's a big deal that an african-american and a former slave is on a horse in this one mm. but it's not really addressed why there's a woman uh, and why there's a woman she doesn't really guy. do anything does
1: yeah i know it's weird like you know she's a woman and why is she wearing the bandana and it's just like all right i'm just assuming she's one of the goons
0: <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean it's never addressed it's never like that's whatever her name is bessie whatever and she uh you know she's really hardcore and like because she's a stunt woman i thought oh she's gonna do a stunt at some point
1: yeah she just got shot <laughs> looks through a ph- photograph doesn't she uh, before she dies
0: yeah but it's sort of just like a little tarantino cameo mm. right and if you haven't seen or you're not aware that tarantino did death death proof yeah. you don't know who she is you're just like who was that it takes you out of the film you know what i mean yeah it's one of those elements that i found of those
1: elements there's also tom savini who's uh who's the who's really responsible for horror makeup um he did uh i think it was dawn of the dead but he he also directed neither living dead the remake in the early 90s but he is so worshipped by so many horror fans like he's like a god amongst horror fans and he actually played a very small cameo in this film he i I spotted him just at the corner of my eye you know those guys who control the dogs and they let him go on on the guy who's trying to run away yep yeah he's one of those guys so that was really interesting
0: okay see now that role yeah, could have been played by anybody. Yes, he exactly. had it played by somebody. You noticed? That's fine. That's part of the plot. Mm. He's incorporated somebody to play that. You know, even seeing Jonah Hill as one of the Ku Klux Klan guys was kind of comedic and it was fun and it was a nice little cameo, right? Yeah. But see, he's thrown in Zoe Bell and it doesn't fit the context. Mm. If she was just one of the people in the town that came out and looked at them yes. when, they were, when they first arrived. That would have been within the context of the plot.
1: Do you reckon it would have been better if he didn't, like, say, Zoe had the same role, but he didn't use any close-ups to really emphasise that this is Zoe? Do you reckon that would have been But no,
0: close-ups, no close-ups would have mean we didn't know who she was. And the fact that it was a woman yeah. hanging out with all these men as well was never explained. Mm. You know, I just think there was something missing there. Like, yeah. if she had done a stunt maybe it would have been worth bringing her in you mm. know what i mean it was it was a bit of nothing you're right I mean, she should could have, have just
1: been one of the women in the town and yeah you just, oh there she is yeah yeah
0: yeah exactly like if you want to bring in a familiar face just to say hey and spend a day on the set that's that's the day she should have been there you mm. know it just feels like unnecessary i don't know There was little things like that that remind you that you're watching a film mm. you know and one of the big ones, let's talk about it, is the Tarantino cameo. Yeah. Hard to miss his cameo, isn't it? Oh,
1: man. I love this movie up until um, when Christoph Waltz gets shot by the sawn shotgun and then Jamie Foxx gets the gun off that guy and the, and the big um, shootout in shoes. That should have been the yep. end of the movie. He shoots everyone, I really thought gets that as well. And rides off into the sunset. Instead, yes. It goes on, they capture him after a bloody shootout. They don't even lay a finger on him, really. They let him go, and he comes But ba- Of course he comes back and um, destroys the whole thing, but what's the deal with all that last 15 minutes with the, with the Australians there, that horrible Australian accent by Quentin Tarantino, that whole, um, you know, they've, they've got him in a cage and they're going to bring him out to the mines. It was so stupid. It just didn't need to be there.
0: So it's like 1858, right? So I'm not sure that that Australian accent would have existed. Uh, that's a very all- good
1: point. I think we still had British accents.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I- and I'm also thinking like I don't know how historically accurate this is trying to be, but I don't know whether or not some Australians would be running a slavery mine in America's South, you sure, know, it I've- seems I've got
1: no idea, yeah.
0: Yeah, it just seems like something that's been invented, but I mean, did you notice who the other two guys were with Tarantino?
1: Yes, uh, one of the guys I can't—I uh, think it's Carl Perkins. He was in um, Red State. Uh, he played the main. I role think it's in that. Michael Sorry.
0: Parks. Michael Parks.
1: Michael Parks. Well, uh, Carl Perkins is a famous um, singer with uh, Elvis Presley. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> He's from the Elvis <laughs> Presley era. Um, and, and the other
0: guy w- was John Jarrett, yes, Australian actor Creek. who was in Wolf Creek. And Wolf Creek as well. Was in um, Death Proof. They drove through the sign that had the outdoor cinema, drive in cinema, and the sign says Wolf Creek and something else. I can't remember. Um, But because of that, you know, like Tarantino owns a copy of Wolf Creek and he's obviously a big fan of it. Yeah. He's always been a horror fan. He's an Eli Roth fan. Eli Roth, and he put into Inglorious Bastards, you know, he gave him a role. He plays the bear with the uh, baseball bat and stuff. Yep. What is he, the bear
1: Jew? I thought, yeah, I thought that was one of the worst um, casting of that whole entire film. Because I, I think Eli Roth's a terrible actor. <laughs> but you can see, like,
0: Tarantino's put him in a role that is part of the plot, right? Sure, yeah. So you can see John Jarrett, he got a role that was part of the plot. Mm. He's one of those three guys. Yep. The Zoe Bell one doesn't work. That's yeah. my point there. Yeah, sure. Because it's just jarring and it's out of nowhere. But, um... He obviously is a John Jarrett fan. He's like, you were in Wolf Creek. That's cool. Come be in this film. And they've created a whole sequence that he can be in. You know?
1: Yeah. I, 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 it's yeah. Terrible moment. <laughs> it's
0: terrible dialogue. Tarantino looks kind of fat as yeah. well. Um, that's the first thing I thought was he, he's growing uh, outwards, not yeah. upwards. And <laughs>
1: he's put on a bit of weight since Pulp Fiction, that's for sure.
0: And his horrendous accent, which... Yeah we're
1: australians and it's offensive <laughs> yeah. it was so but, but jarring i was like what What? Well, where are we what's going on here you know and i knew what was going to happen he was going to come back and destroy everyone and then ride off with the girl like i don't understand why that whole scene was needed it was uh it really killed i think the it was just for a- me from being one of the top tarantino films
0: like I said, I was watching it. It was finishing after midnight. It made the film seem so much longer mm. to watch it at that late at night. But having that sort of additional part made me wonder why it was in the film at all. Yeah. And I wondered if it was because Tarantino wanted to do a scene where he blows up.
1: <laughs> I think it was he also wanted to do because he's a fan of Australian um I think that's what they call it he's in a documentary not quite Hollywood and he that's right and he talks with a lot of passion about Australian films and it's funny I've, I've seen that documentary it's very well done but most of the films they talk about other than Mad Max look horrible like it looks like movies I'd never even watch you know it just looks so just awful really bad low budget uh violent movies and even the violence isn't handled that well you know no craftsmanship at all and i think tarantino wanted to pay homage to the exploitation films by being an australian uh, ac- uh being an australian character with a very good australian actor um from yeah. wolf creek yeah
0: yeah exactly i think that it was probably just the john jarrett connection but if the film had ended uh, at that first shootout where christoph waltz dies and mm-hmm. i do want to talk about that so sure don't let me forget yeah um but when um there's that big shootout he gives himself up if we hadn't had him give himself up and all that other stuff you would never have seen jamie fox's penis
1: <laughs> i i can't remember everyone talks about that i can't remember even seeing his um private parts um up in the do you get a good shot of it or what
0: well, he's hanging upside down yeah. and the shot is sort of down past his testicles. Yep. So, and then there's a wide shot where he's just hanging upside down. I thought but he was honest, wearing a
1: metal guard or something there.
0: No, I don't think he was, mate.
1: <laughs> if you if you guys...
0: Um, watch Django and you want to comment on this on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash me if you can. I don't even we'll, remember we'll get other
1: being p- there. Like, I, I guess I wasn't looking at that area. I was just like, the whole time I was in shock, what, what's happening? Why hasn't this movie ended? <laughs> Why is he upside down? Why is Samuel Jackson talking to him about some uh, mining thing they're going to send him to? <laughs> you know, I um, I heard an interview with uh, Jamie Foxx
0: and he was talking about how um, Tarantino would write things on the set, like um, add dialogue and stuff yeah. as they went. And that's probably one of the best things about being a writer-director. You know, you're one person and you can just change something on the spot, make a quick change. And um, Samuel Jackson said to Tarantino that um, he counted six bullets, right? And that he wouldn't have had any more ammo kind of thing. You know, pointed it out to Tarantino. Yeah, And then he wrote that quick line about, I count two guns, you know. Oh, That is at the cool. end of Django. The problem was is that I'd heard that in an interview and that became one of the last lines of the film. Yeah. I was just waiting for that line. Oh, you're looking for it, right. And, I mean, Samuel Jackson's good and um, he's going to grow into that actual age soon, you know, where he's can play these Morgan Freeman roles. Yeah. You know? Um, and the thing i i think is that's a good preview in django of us seeing him as like a you know 70 to 80 year old actor um he did a good job like you sort of forget he's younger than that in a way yeah and um but he became the villain didn't he he was the final one he had to kill
1: yep that's right
0: because dicaprio is awesome in this
1: yeah I thought he was really good. Like yeah. he had a lot of fun with he the had, role. That was an excellent, excellent choice of casting and a great performance by uh, um, Leonardo DiCaprio. I, I never knew a lot of critics have issues with DiCaprio. They don't think he's a good actor. I always thought he was, and they point out really big flaws in his acting. Like he plays almost the same character every single time and it's Mm -hmm. um he's too much of a star like you see too much of leonardo dicaprio and you don't see the character but i don't know like every movie he's been in he's really impressed me but maybe they are right and these are from credible critics as well so but they all talk up about this film he was very very good this is like one of his performances that's really a big standout
0: you know i think i would love to see leonardo dicaprio play a romantic comedy or something
1: I'll go back to you know, his like, roots.
0: <laughs> well, not, not even his roots. Like, I mean, Titanic was the biggest film for him and that was kind of a big period drama, you know. Um, he keeps doing real people, real um, stories, biopics. He did uh, J. Edgar, you know, he did uh, Aviator. You know, he keeps working with Scorsese and he keeps doing these really big epic films. Yep. I would love to see him just do like a rom-com or something that was just a drama you know, more so than these big, big films that it has to be the biggest thing in the world, you yes. know? Then I think we'd see more variety because I feel like he's always trying to be these epic characters. Sure, no, definitely. Yeah, but I like Leonardo DiCaprio and I think he did a really good job here. Yeah, um, Just, um,
1: it's great. Uh, Tarantino's got a great eye for casting. I think it's almost flawless. Um, I, I always talk about um, Jackie Brown. I think that's actually gone grown to be my favourite Um. Quentin Tarantino film but by just curious what's your favourite favourite
0: Tarantino film yeah
1: favourite Tarantino film
0: um it's tough isn't it I mean they're all quite different because if you asked me when I was
1: 17 it would have been Reservoir Dogs but as I'm growing older I don't know I, i I, you know not to say Reservoir Dogs doesn't have depth to it it certainly does but I just need more richness more depth and Jackie Brown just has all that for me
0: um, to be honest, I feel like it's probably *Inglorious Bastards* for me. Really? Well,
1: wow, I thought that was his worst.
0: Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I found I found there was something really intriguing about rewriting history. Sure. Um, as a former projectionist, I really enjoyed the little nod to projection and the fact that she owns a cinema and she's gonna, you know, trap yeah. and kill Hitler. I, I liked the concept um, more so than the ultra violence, but I think. It's a really good turn for Brad Pitt. I think it's a really interesting idea, and I think he deserved the Best Picture nomination that he got at the Mm. Academy Awards. I thought it was um, like a good return to form. I think um, Kill Bill, both parts were sort of... One was too much action, one was too much talking. Sure, yeah. And they were uneven, and sort of together they make a better film. Yep. Too long if you watch it all at once, but... (laughs) Yeah, but I thought *Inglorious Bastards* was really good because it was such a good return to form. I think. Mm. I mean, originally, before they came out, it was *Reservoir Dogs* for me as well. Um, I really liked all the Mr. Mr. Pink, Mr. Brown, you know, the interactions and and for low stuff, budget but-
1: filmmakers like ourselves, like the whole idea where you never see the bank robbery was just genius. You never see yep. the ear cutting scene. That's just genius to us. Like, wow, yeah, that's right. You don't ha- you don't have to see it. You can just talk about it exactly I we talked about up. this on the
0: yeah. on the looper podcast I was saying yes, and there's there's a torturous scene in that film which I won't mention because it's spoilers and stuff but um, the thing I found was you don't get to see what's going on it's the same as the ear-cutting Tarantino scene yeah. it's um it's what you make of it in your mind you know yeah. so for a long time I think it was reservoir dogs but um, more recently i think i really like inglorious bastards so yeah
1: Yeah. well i think uh, jackie brown back to his casting who in cinema would like a top like in hollywood rather the a top level director we're talking any script they want they can do anything they want they can do The, the studio will throw any money at them and give them final cut he writes he spends ages writing a whole screenplay for a 50-year-old African-American woman who, in their prime, was playing um, black exploitation films, you know, just utilising their physical um, physicality, really, because she was a very beautiful woman, he writes this whole screenplay just for this 50-year-old woman, and and makes a whole film like giving her the lead. Has that ever been done? I can't think of anything. Like, no other critic, no other... Oh, well, maybe some critics. No other filmmaker spotted Pam Grier's brilliance. Like, they just oh, she's just a B-grade actor, and they cast her in B-grade movies, small roles. Tarantino didn't. Tarantino, well, well, she's one of the best actresses ever. She, I'm so disappointed she didn't at least get an Academy Award nomination, because every time I see Jackie Brown, she is so fantastic in it. It's a great film about middle age and about people Um, always never getting to where they wanted to be when they were younger and facing the fact that, wow, this could be it for me, you know, sort of thing, and they're just struggling Mm. to live in mediocrity. Um, It's a brilliant, brilliant piece. I think it's Tarantino's most mature film, and it's interesting, he didn't actually come up with the original idea it was written by um elmer leonard uh, a novel called rum punch which i haven't read yet and he adapted it into a screenplay but he changed it heavily and he really made it his own like for starters the book starred a blonde woman like a blonde middle-aged woman and he changed it to a black african-american woman which changed everything about the movie uh, about the story but uh, uh, so that's a huge recommendation for anyone who wants to get into Tarantino. Watch Jackie Brown. It's long, dialogue heavy, but it is brilliant. Like, there's so many layers to that film. Um, and now, Tarantino, did- uh, after that film, you think he'd be doing more films like that? He did Kill Bill, which, as you said, was very you know genre piece it was very really out there wasn't as very action orientated and then he did inglorious bastards which wasn't based on anything any historical uh, historical accuracy at all my only problem with um in glorious bastards it was a confused film it should have either been purely about the bastards or purely about the lady um running the projection room um it's just too like you're too much either with her and you're wanting to see the bastards or you don't see enough of the bastards and you know you want to see more of her you know it's a very confused sort of film
0: okay yeah well i um i enjoyed it i thought um like his attempt at a war film because basically that's yeah probably the only same
1: thing and you know those sort of films
0: yeah Hey, um, I guess we should swing back towards yeah, Django. sorry.
1: <laughs> it's just hard because um, right. I don't think we'll be talking about a Tarantino film for quite some time um, on Podme if you can, so I just want to get it all out
0: there. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe we'll revisit one of them. Maybe we'll yeah, re-watch no, Jackie Brown or something and see how we go. If there's a demand for it, as always, I'll um, push for you guys to tweet us or hit us up on the Facebook page. Um, all right, Django gets a gun right in this yep. and he is al- already a great shot
1: yeah he's excellent at shooting yeah, he's seemingly he's never yep
0: sorry I was just going to say he's never not good at shooting and it's never really explained there was sort of a montage of him learning to shoot couldn't a few of those shots have been him missing. Yeah, and he gets better.
1: That's a problem with montage. montages, they um Most modern films, when a guy's uh, really skillful, they they've just naturally skillful. There's no build up to them like the old Rocky days, where Rocky has to really build up to be as skillful to to face his opponent. You're right. As soon as he picks up a gun, he's a crack shot.
0: Yeah, and um, right at the very end of the film. It cuts back to show his sort of learning to shoot montage, and Christoph Waltz says something like, They're going to call you the fastest, you know, in the South or something. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that shot was pretty unnecessary. It was just a reminder that Christoph Waltz was in the film yeah, in a way. It was just like, <laughs> Yeah, it became sort of comical towards the end as well, like with Django's horse doing tricks and stuff, yeah. sort of prancing and. Um, yeah, in the end, the girl sort of, like, giggling at him and just, yeah, a bit, bit comical and too much. But, yeah, I thought the shooting stuff was maybe a bit, like, he could have been worse at it. If he's a slave, you know, his... I suppose he's going to have a decent kind of physical appearance if he's been doing labour and stuff, yeah. so that's
1: fine. But he wouldn't... There's you know, no he, way he would have picked up a gun. Like, I, I, I no. don't know, unless he was given a hunting option but I, I just can't imagine i don't one of think those so. owners giving them giving him a rifle
0: yeah well yeah as well i mean the thing that really gets me about the end of this film is um the way christoph waltz's character i think his name is king schultz yep. is that right or <laughs> yeah i think so he how he dies So he um, is experiencing... He's a bit green when he sees the dogs tear apart that um, slave, right? And uh, that's pointed out by Calvin Candle. Candy? Candy. That's it. Candyland. Calvin Candy. So um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Calvin Candy, points it out, ripped apart by dogs. And um, then when they're sort of travelling, there's a bit where Christoph Waltz pulls Jamie Foxx's character aside and says... I don't want to die here in Mississippi or whatever. You know, I don't intend to die here. And he's seems like a bit of a, you know, survivor. Yeah. When he's in situations earlier, he gives himself up and he's got a clever way of getting out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Confrontation like he has with Calvin Candy is not really in his character. He um, Even if he was very affected by the dogs, I thought, why didn't he just leave? Because there was no reason to shoot Leonardo DiCaprio there was no threat yes you know it's over at that point they have the girl they're able to leave and um, then I thought what he could have done is just he's a sniper he could have just shot him later from a distance yep if he really wanted to absolutely it was
1: more of a case his emotions just completely took over and that was his downfall because he survived as you said for so long because he outwitted all those situations and the one time he gave in to his emotions which was rage or anger that's when he died and I think he it was like he accepted that he goes I'm sorry like he could have shot the bodyguard I think he had two shots in that thing I don't know (laughs) um well, yeah even if he, he only
0: had one shot he could have taken cover he just stands there yeah it was like his know? acceptance
1: yeah that's i'm sorry you know the, I, I had to do it and then he just gets blown away by a shotgun you're like oh he's one of the best characters i've ever seen
0: <laughs> well if they'd just left and had a big shootout later and sort of ambushed calvin and kind of killed him and stuff then or whatever You know, then you could have had them both ride off into the sunset. You might have had a sequel. That's a really great
1: point because there was a moment in the film, the middle part, where they're both, you know, it shows them working as bounty hunters together. They sort of work through the winter um, catching all these things. And I just thought wow, isn't this one of the best buddy films, like, ever? you got this really nice German guy who's very, very skillful and he's with this, um, well, former slave, but he's freed him and they just become best of friends and they just work throughout the countryside capturing... Um, oh, r- getting bounties, um, you know, and collecting the bounty. <laughs> um, it was it was
0: a very good pairing. I mean, it's... Yeah, it, it was great. It was like, wow, this is one of
1: the best buddy films since... Um, uh, sundance kid i can't think of the movie what's that one robert redford and um paul newman butch, cassidy, it, and butch, cassidy. Yeah, butch cassidy and it the it sundance butch cassidy butch cassidy it is butch kid. cassidy isn't it <laughs> yeah it's like yeah. it reminds me of that
0: yeah i kept thinking of um is it treasure island where he meets friday
1: Tre- i haven't seen treasure island
0: yeah, in the, in the book, I think it's Treasure Island or Robinson Crusoe, maybe, is that what I'm thinking of? Right. Um, where Robinson Crusoe, let's say it's Robinson Crusoe. Whoever's listening to this will probably know. <laughs> um, Robinson Crusoe, uh, he's on an island and he meets um, a uh, African-American called Friday and they become friends and they're sort of trapped together and and so forth. It made me think of that, but it made me think of a lot of buddy um, stuff. I mean, Lethal Weapon, for example, you've got Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, but they're together they're both cops yeah um here they're from so different worlds like um, yeah well i love comedy films
1: it's like one of my thing like beverly hills cop i consider a buddy film and of course midnight run which we talked about in the Gili podcast i think that's one of the best buddy films of all time buddy action movies of all time um and yeah this one certainly this is excellent this is such a great pairing as you said I mean the comedy
0: here comes from the fact that Django's learning words like positive where he goes <laughs> are you positive it was him and he's like I'm not sure and he's like why are you not sure he's like I don't know what positive means and stuff <laughs> you know when when he's aiming the gun and he's going to shoot that guy off the horse and and uh the where he gets to choose his clothes and he picks the Austin Powers outfit I mean these are the funniest moments yeah be- because of how different they are I mean he's learning they're learning from each other yep. you know um it was good. Like I thought it was a really good pairing and it was frustrating that Christoph Waltz had to I die. No,
1: it's just like oh <laughs>
0: But it was annoying for me because it was so out of character. I mean I thought he could have shaken his hand and left and they could have had another run in.
1: Yeah. I, I didn't have issues with his death. Um as you when you broke it down and you said like he really gave in to his rage, I you know It seems really right to me. Like, the moment he gives in to his emotions and not be that cold-blooded professional guy that he normally is is the moment he dies. He's not a survivor anymore. And when he waves his gun, like, after he shoots DiCaprio and really, I'm sorry, like, you know, that's really him realising that what he's done and he's going to die for it. Do you think after he shot him, he just went, yeah, I have to die now?
0: (laughs) I thought, like, if he was in a rage it would have showed he was in a rage mm. it just felt like he it was a matter of pride in a way because mm. if he shook his hand then it was going to be that he'd submitted he was the better man absolutely. or something i mean there absolutely, was absolutely yep. there was no threat it wasn't as if he was had a gun pointed at his head and he was like yeah i just felt like he'd given up so many times raised his hands and he had a way of not being confrontational like how they did the sniper rifle and yep. blew up the thing from a distance yeah. and just seemed he was smarter than that Mm. and um, obviously it's not good for him to see this slave killed by dogs but he was very determined not to blow the cover before that and I just wondered I mean it's not as if he knew that guy personally it was just a vicious thing he'd seen he was also in the room when there's that UFC style fight yeah where one guy beats the other to death and then you know uses a hammer to kill him Uh, Yeah, but he didn't really turn green I mean there's a shot of him not enjoying it yeah he's flinching a bit yeah, but he's not like, oh, God, I've got to kill him for that. Yeah. You know, that perhaps was even more brutal. Just seemed like, I guess we're supposed to expect that it's worn him down over time. Mm. You know, I don't know. Seemed uh, frustrating to me the way he went out. I just didn't enjoy it. Did you, um,. Were you you shocked by that UFC fight? Yeah, that was um, pretty
1: brutal. And you didn't see anything like we talked about with the technique of the ear cutting. um, He gets him in like a sort of Kimura or a shoulder lock and he uh, breaks his arm with it. And we just like it cuts away and we hear the snapping. Um, And yeah, that was brutal. I'm sure that thing went on, that type of thing went on back then. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um the The girl, Broomhilda, yep. she um, she's played by Kerry Washington, who's in the TV show Scandal. Yep. She's um, worked with Jamie Fox before. I think she was his wife in Ray, if I remember correctly. Um, but anyway, she was in all those flashbacky visions. You know, when he's sort of riding the horse and he sort of sees her, and she says "Hey" and waves and whatever, and she's haunting him basically. Yep. I felt like she didn't have enough airtime. She she wasn't on screen enough. There was really only a few sequences. It takes us a long time to see her, yeah. and maybe she's been thrown into all those kind of visions to beef up her part. Sure. Yeah, I just felt like she's a really good
1: actress. I think she's going to continue to do really great work. But um, yeah, she wasn't given a lot of screen time in this at all. I think she was given not a enough, lot of dialogue. Um, for a character, but considering her stature as an actress yeah you're right it's just like wow they cast someone you know she's got her own tv show now you know and she's just like a damsel in distress the whole time which she is but yeah
0: i'm guessing that there will be deleted scenes and so forth when we get to a dvd blu-ray but um she for a tarantino movie i didn't think she got very many lines Mm. you know and you could have easily given her a little monologue about something about slavery or Her experiences and stuff it just felt like um also one of those flashbacks
1: it was Bruce Dern who was one of the slave masters said you got a lot of sand he's actually a very accomplished actor in from the 70s and Tarantino cast him as a slave owner and you only see one little scene with him and I was like the whole time wow that was that was Bruce Dern (laughs) (laughs) you got a lot of sand in your you know I like that you know that that role that was that was strange
0: (laughs) (laughs) um Did you, like, have many people in the cinema with you?
1: Uh, I saw it on the first day, and um, it came out in Australia um, on a Thursday night at about ten past nine, and I didn't have many people at all.
0: Mm. Um, I had a few, as I said. There was maybe ten or twelve. Obviously, it's been out a little while, but everybody lost their stuff laughing when he... um, He finally sees Brimhilda again. There's that little, hey, little troublemaker line.
1: And she faints. Silver tongued devil you or something like that.
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And um, everybody just lost it laughing at that point. And I mean, I think when you've got a love story, right? um, A really good example is there's a movie called Serendipity with John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale. And um, in the film, it's all about whether or not They're meant to be together, and will the universe decide? And so they spend the entire film apart, right? Another good example is um, that Jude Law and Nicole Kidman movie where they're up on the mountain, Cold Mountain, where they're separated and they spend a whole chunk of the movie apart, you know? Not having airtime, screen time together, rather, um, really makes you, you... You need to root for the relationship. You need to say um you know i really want these two to get together right
1: yeah
0: and when they finally see each other and she collapses there's no payoff right after that they gloss over and there's no like she comes to and kisses him and there's no speech there yeah there's no there's no I can't believe we haven't with Tarantino. <laughs> yeah we finally get to see the kiss after he's kidnapped after quentin tarantino's character blows up after he returns And then they're kissing and they're like a silhouette. And then we get to see them kissing and there's a payoff there. But they had a scene together that's missing from the film. And it's obviously telling her the plan and what's going to happen and stuff. You know, where they're pretending to speak German and everything. And just before she collapses, you know. Um, Or just after she collapses. She could have woken up. They could have had a little scene there. I know we don't absolutely need to see it. Yeah. But having her faint, even though it's very funny, kind of makes their relationship a bit less sure you know because um, i think you need to have a certain amount of scenes with the people you want to fall in love with each mm. other or the people you want to see be together like serendipity they're together at the beginning and they see each other towards the end right mm. and so you need to have enough strong stuff at the beginning that you want for the next hour and 20 minutes for them to see each other again. Enough kind of meet-cute romantic moments, you know? Yeah. They have to connect. But these two are already married, so it's kind of a little bit lazy. I mean, we've seen the scene of them running away together, and we've seen the scene of um, her getting whipped and him getting stopped from helping her. But nothing that really glues them together, you know? Like, I think the, the love story in this could have used that extra scene... You know, that extra embrace, give us something to care about. Sure. You know? Um like lots of stuff in this film was handled really well. Yeah. I liked the action, even though there was like splashes of blood, even though at the end where he says, say goodbye to whatever her name is, and she gets pulled by a cord out (laughs) of the room. (laughs) Yeah. You know, there was even though at the end when he blows up the dynamite, it looks like a model is exploding, yeah, you know. Um, for a second there, there's lots of things that were done really, really well. And I thought the characters, uh, the main two, the Christoph Waltz character and Jamie Foxx's character, their friendship was really strong. Yeah, stronger than his uh,
1: relationship he had with Kerry Washington.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And then he dies and you're left with them at the end. And that's like how it was always going to be because she was the one that needed rescuing and stuff. Mm. But it would have maybe been nicer if christoph waltz had lived they'd shaken hands and then had a nice little moment and then he goes off with his wife you kind of then the i guess relationship of the two guys that you're you know invested in would have had a nice payoff yeah rather than just the shooting and that's that's it Mm -hmm. you're left with this kind of subplot almost of the wife
1: the what do you reckon? F- yeah, no, I, I I agree. Um with the funniest scene um in the film like that moment, do you think that was the the, the most responsive the audience got um the moment she collapses?
0: Uh because of the silver-tongued line oh, everybody I enjoyed yep. that. Yeah, basically, but the Yeah, I don't know. I I feel like they had a stronger bond than that was shown yes. than the um Django and
1: his wife. Sure, yeah, no, yeah. I, I felt the same way. It became more of a buddy film than the revenge or damsel in distress, rescue type movie, because <laughs> it plays out with back to the fairy tale theme that you know he has to rescue this girl. Um, like it's laid out at the very beginning, almost when they discuss about what happened to his wife. Like he really has to rescue the girl from the dragon. Um, I think it was dragon. He has to walk through fire together um yeah. but it also diverts from that and becomes like a buddy film um predominantly like 80 90 percent of the movie so it's very interesting how that's um handled
0: yeah yeah exactly and um did you know the stuff about the last name being von shaft no um Brumhilda von shaft is her last name and um, for whatever reason, they keep that last name. I guess he's Django Von Shaft. And they're like the great, great, great descendants of, of Shaft.
1: Shaft. Oh, I heard about that. <laughs> that's fantastic.
0: Yeah, which um, Quentin Tino wasn't quiet about. He, he didn't let that be like a little thing. He um he mentioned it in a lot of press and stuff. So. Oh, that's
1: cool. Uh, the most yeah. responsive the audience got with me uh in in my screening was the moment where um they all were i think it's a precursor to the clue cuts clan where they were all wearing bed sheets and they cut holes into it and they're all complaining that they can't see through the holes
0: yeah exactly yeah, yeah Don Turner Johnson Hill plays that
1: the leader in that who's you know a great actor from Miami Vice days a TV series and he's been in few movies um, and this is one of his best roles as uh, one of the co- uh, plantation owners and he plays the leader or, or it's like a precursor to the Ku Klux Klan, and they've all got bed sheets on and they're all um, yeah. they barely can see through the holes <laughs> that was yeah fantastic. that was really really yeah. funny
0: yeah and I think that scene is you know classic Tarantino and happy to have that in the film it was just all the additional Aussie minor stuff really that yeah. made this a lesser film i think if somebody else edited his films you know like a Robert Rodriguez or something somebody else could cut out scenes that Tarantino you know or cut down scenes that Tarantino wouldn't miss too much yeah that's right cuz like um right. everybody yeah, says you know you i
1: guess you're seeing his vision but he did go a bit too far <laughs> Yeah, but um, I think there's a great casting with James Remar, um if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. You'll you would have seen him in Dexter. He actually played two roles in this movie. He played one of the brothers at the start who gets shot where um, yeah, that's Jamie right. Foxx is chained um to this like chain yep. gang and he's one of the owners of that chain gang i should say or the slaves i should say and he's also plays the yep. bodyguard of Leonardo dicaprio's character who shoots christoph waltz um he was from yep. the warriors and everything like that so it's just great to see him play two roles in django unchained i think he's a very underrated actor
0: and he was also for those of you playing at home he uh, was also in sex in the city he was one of samantha's many lovers <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> Yeah, so just a bit too self-indulgent, Django. I mean, I think it could have been a tighter, better film for it, you know. Yeah, if it just they didn't lost need that 15 last 15 minutes. My
1: biggest issue with this film, I thought it was all great up until the last 15 minutes. Um, I thought that that whole thing wasn't needed. It should have ended the moment Christoph Falskets got shot and Jamie Foxx picked up a gun and started that shootout. Should have been a shootout. He gets the girl, they ride off in the sunset. That's it. Rather than that whole Australian bit. Oh, it's horrible. Yes.
0: And I think that's going to be the major criticism. All right, that's it for Django. We're going to do uh, our segment, and here is the opener.
1: What should I watch, Dave?
0: All right, so uh, it's my turn to recommend a film this time, Lloyd. Yeah. Um, since, since we've uh, finished our first year of Podme, if you can, last few podcasts we've been doing recommendations as you know but i'm just recapping anyone who's just listening to this one uh recommending this time is flight with denzel washington now when the oscars were announced when the golden globes were announced um this was a film that was getting lots of rave reviews for denzel washington's performance um and he hasn't been oscar nominated since maybe training day i don't know i don't think he's been nominated between now and then right um so i was very very interested to see flight and see the kind of film this is now I knew nothing about it when the nominations came out, and then I saw a ton of press, like uh, Australian TV and just print press, and everybody was saying, uh, "You know, Denzel Washington is fantastic," and this became a film that I had to sort of check out. Do you know much about it,
1: Lloyd? No, I've only seen brief trailers, and I've seen, you know, it's about a flight captain or something. Oh, sorry, captain, a pilot or something like that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, he um, he's a pilot who. And this isn't a spoiler, because this is the major sort of um, summary. Uh, I won't do anything that spoils this. You'll know this stuff in the first five minutes of watching this film. Um, Basically, he's a pilot who's dealing with um, an alcohol and drugs problem. And um, the first 30 minutes of this film are really, really captivating and just set up uh, a really awesome character. And Denzel Washington played this really, really well. He um, deserves the Oscar nomination. The the strongest thing about this is his performance. There's um, a few things in this film, like it's a little bit long in the middle, um, but it's such a solid sort of tale, I guess that um, it's definitely worth a look. And that's sort of what I'm plugging in today as our recommendation. Um, John Goodman makes an appearance in this film, yeah, as well, as uh, Denzel Washington's buddy, which is pretty funny, and um. Yeah, basically Denzel, dealing with this alcoholism, you get this really nice picture of the frustration people must feel because anyone who is an alcoholic, I imagine, and has been told they have a problem by somebody, um, he has this kind of ability to lie to people, ability to, to cover the fact that he's been drinking or using drugs, and this sort of way of seeming normal around people. Mm. Um but it's this, it's this, as the audience watching him, it can be really frustrating because you want him to give up the drugs, give up the alcohol, you know. Um, Don Cheadle's in this as well, just just quietly, it's quite good. Um, his performance as well, but um, you want him to give up the drugs and alcohol, but the frustration comes from that this is the nature of addiction, you know, um, and the way that I mean, I'm sure it's... Also, I've read um, Russell Brand's book, for example, the first one, where he talks all about his addiction. Mm -hmm. And this is the kind of thing that seems true of most cases of addiction that I'm aware of, is that people say, I won't drink anymore. And there's um, a shot in Flight where he says, I'm not going to drink anymore. And then it cuts to him with a drink in his hand right afterwards, kind of thing. Um, Yeah, it's, it's this frustration of wanting them to get better in a way get better inverted commas and um, that it's not the kind of thing that happens immediately you know Yeah. my you know, issue so with just-
1: uh, Denzel Washington and I think he's very very good but he can only play one role and that's Denzel Washington um, I don't like looking at his whole body of work it's almost like the same guy the whole entire time i uh, you know you don't see him play like a chameleon like a daniel day lewis where he can slip in and out and ch- completely change his accent he always plays like the same guy is that the case in flight like he's denzel washington but an alcoholic
0: i've heard that once you're sort of pigeonholed um jeffrey rush said um I, he was uh, being interviewed on the red carpet on abc program next stop hollywood which was on um it was all about sending six people to hollywood to do um auditions and stuff, six young Australians, and not all young, so six Australians. And um, it was really interesting, and Jeffrey Rush is getting interviewed, and he said after he did Shine, they sent him a bunch of piano-playing films. Yeah. You know, so, like, they go, oh, that's what you're good at, that's what you'll do, here you go. So it's so unique, I guess, when, say, Tarantino is able to do a war film, a Western, you know, um, a spaghetti, you know, sorry, a Japanese what am I thinking kung fu karate yep. ninja yep
1: uh like a kung fu film or a
0: samurai film Yep, samurai film yeah um you know the fact that he's gotten to do so much variety is awesome for him and like um I guess Denzel would be suffering from that getting the exact same kind of you know epic
1: films but but he's very good at playing the role um that role like the Denzel Washington to- guy but it's always like the same thing like i don't know like uh the big contrast for me an example i always use is like the insider with russell crowe to gladiator like they're so different like one's like a pencil pusher behind a desk and he really really you really believe that and then all of a sudden he plays gladiator and you really believe he's been in the wars for a long time he's a general like it's he's a very very good actor um is it Russell Crowe, yeah, Russell Crowe, um, and whereas Denzel Washington, you know, although he's played a variety of um, roles, it's always like very similar, very Denzel Washington. He, uh, I, I yeah. bet the roles are written very differently, but the moment he says it, it's all sort of like Johnny Depp. Um, I remember, oh jeez, uh, Roman Polanski had a completely different vision for Ninth Gate, and the moment I'm um, Johnny Depp was cast and hired, and he read the lines, he was like, oh. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, he just had a completely different... He had to change his whole view of um, that character because now Johnny Depp has it. It's now his role. It's his performance. And Johnny Depp, to be fair, um, is actually very, very good. Like, I think his role as um, Captain Jack Sparrow... uh, I actually don't like those movies. um, To his roles in... um, say, Donny Brasco, are very different. I think he's a very good actor, but I do understand what Roman Polanski was saying. The moment you have a star actor and they read the lines, it sort of becomes their own. It's very different mm. to how you originally envisioned it.
0: Hmm. Mm. Yeah, well, I guess um, people can let us know if they see Flight, what they think about it. Um, I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, I think I'll close with it as well, www.podmeifyoucan.com is the website for the podcast and all of the links up on the page you can find us on Twitter, YouTube, etc. Um next time on the podcast we will be discussing Compliance, which is a very interesting film that has come out this year as well. So uh try and check that one out before next week and uh yeah, that is it for PodMe if you can.
1: Thanks guys, all the best.